sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Our agenda is not a partisan agenda, although some people say it is. It's a mainstream, common sense agenda of the American people. It's where we want to be and where we want to go. Now, you really mean finish that wall because we've built a lot of us. Finish that wall. There's no place better to talk about border security, whether they like it or not, because I've been hearing a lot of things, oh, the wall didn't make that much of a difference. You know where it made a big difference? Right here in El Paso. And now, Stacey Washington. El Paso, San Diego, and pretty much anywhere else where there's a wall, because we do have hundreds of miles of wall already in existence, and it's making a difference. Uh, you know, if you have sanctuary city policies, you're going to be working against the goodness that that wall can do. And uh, so it's it's really, it's, it's so simple. Good, evil, right, wrong. Law-abiding citizens, illegal aliens, so simple. And I, I just have to add as a caveat, welcome to the show. Thank you for making your home at American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. And if you feel like it's unchristian to want people to follow laws, you don't actually know what the Bible says. And I'm not here to judge you or to wonder whether or not you're a Christian. I'm actually just encouraging you to don't fixate on me or what I've said here. Go straight to the scriptures. The Bible is so clear about lawbreakers, about illegal entry into countries, about uh, going against you know the, the law of the land. The Bible is even clear about what we're supposed to do when we see people breaking laws. We are not supposed to abide with that. We're not supposed to condone that. So when you feel your heartstrings tugging you and your emotions saying, but these people just want a better life, uh, no, that's not how this thing works. You don't say, because if that's the case, what about people who live here already and they're looking at your house? I'm speaking to you, email person. And they've seen that your life is better than theirs and they just want a better life. How about they come in and take your wife and your kids and take your dog, take your sofa, your house, your cars and snuff you out so they can have that better life. Do you agree with that? No. Oh, because when it gets personal, when it's you and your family, all of a sudden, then then you're back with 911, uh, the law, you know, uh, you can't break the law, prosecution. Then you want to see people held to the same standard that you're held to. Same, same. So... I, I just get not really annoyed because I think I'm past that. I get to a place where I'm, I, I open up my email and I see somebody telling me, well, you're not being a good Christian if you don't, if you want to deport illegal aliens. Really? So if someone's squatting at your house when you get home from vacation and you want them to get out, you aren't being a good Christian? Oh, okay, I see. It's a good Christian if it's your house, but if it's the country we live in, then it's not a good Christian. So that double standard means that you don't really, you don't understand what you're saying or you don't understand right from wrong. Or maybe you're just, you know, just kind of saying anything that feels good to you because you're ruled by your emotions. The Bible also has something to say about that. It's not me. Your problem is with what God's word says. And the fact that I'm sharing it here doesn't change it. Even if I never said it again, if I never mentioned illegal aliens on this show again, if I never talked about immigration again, it wouldn't change the fact that right is right and wrong is wrong. And God's word is very clear about where we're supposed to come down on that. Mm. Oh, you know, anyway. So then speaking of people who are wrong and don't understand things, Senator Bob Menendez is back in the news because he suggested that Anyone who's here illegally, who's also been convicted of a driving under the influence charge, these are the people, 10% of all of our DUIs are done by illegal aliens. And these people are just literally running down American citizens on the road, and then they just keep going. They drive on to wherever they were headed to, drunk, just drunk as the day is long, they drive off to wherever they're headed. And Senator Menendez says they're not criminals, they shouldn't go to jail. Now, I know... For American citizens, you drive under the influence, you lose your driver's license, your insurance gets canceled, some people lose their jobs. It's a news item. If you have a job of any importance and you drive under the influence, all of a sudden your picture is all over everything. Now you're famous and not in a good way. But illegal aliens should get to do it because 
They just want a better life. They want a better life while they're drunk, but uh, you know, whatever. So here he is. I just honestly, where do we find these people and how do we keep sending them to Congress? It's number one. The deputy director of ICE uh, says a cap on beds, in his words, would be, quote, extremely damaging to the public safety of this country. How do you respond? The reason that they are already 8,000 over their budgeted amount, so they're violating the budget, is because of the president's uh, zero tolerance policy that has turned everyone, regardless uh, of their uh, record, uh, into a criminal. For example, if you cross the border undocumented, he has now made you a criminal. Uh, he is creating that problem by turning people away who legitimately seek asylum. If a person has a driving while under the influence violation, he is now making that, saying that that's a criminal. <laughs> so, so Senator Menendez actually thinks that Donald Trump is, is in the White House or someplace, you know, <laughs> he's at Mar-a-Lago, wherever, or maybe he's on Air Force One. And he's like, you know, Entering the country illegally, not a crime, but I'm going to make it a crime. Check that off. And so one of the, you know, the DHS Secretary Nielsen is there with her pen and her laptop and she's got a list. She's like, oh, okay, illegal entry, check. That's now illegal. Okay, what else? And President Trump's like, uh, you know, I actually think it should be a problem. Like if someone drives uh, drunk and they're here illegally, that should be a crime too. And she's like, hold on a second driving under the influence while in the country illegally illegal check <laughs> i mean do you like this guy is a senator do you know what kind of power that is do you know what kind of power you have if you're a sitting senator you can you can call places and get people to do stuff like that i mean it's power it's it's a whole different world i've seen some of what happens with it here locally, a person that I actually didn't know him at all before he was elected, but he had these listening sessions at a, a centralized location here in St. Louis. And because I was blogging and doing some radio, I was one of the people on his list. So he had me come in and you get like this seven minute block of time to sit with him and ask him questions and express your concerns. And he was running and it was pretty clear that he was going to, you know, he's, he, he was going to win. And so I went in and I listened to what he had to say. He just kind of did an opening spiel. And I said, well, I've looked you up on your website. I know your history and, you know, you've done some public service in the past, but this isn't your first rodeo. I said, do you think you're going to win? He said, the internal polling looks good. I'm pretty confident I'm going to become a senator. I said, awesome. And so I started asking him about school choice and some other things that are, you know, really integral to at the time it was what I was writing and blogging and talking on the radio about as a guest. I didn't have my own show at the time. And I'm... Um, he gave me some kind of canned answers and I, I said, you know, you're, I understand the answers you're giving me are the, the palatable ones, but if you're going to go to the Senate and expect me to support you publicly, I need to know that you're not going to turn into one of those people that I can't, I can't, I can't get a hold of you. I can't, you like, you're not a regular person anymore. He looked me in the eye and he said, I'll, I'll always be a regular person. I'll always be a Missourian and, um, I will be available to you. And I have to say, um, he has continued to do that. I, I can actually pick up the phone and call Roy Blunt and I can talk to him and he's a sitting senator. But that doesn't change the fact that over the course of his couple terms there, he has amassed a, a considerable amount of power. And where before he was meeting there, you know, in, in this space where you could come in and sit with him for a few minutes. I mean, you know, we've had fun. Like one time I was picking the kids up from school and he was in town and he was at a Starbucks and we went over and he bought all, you know, all three of the kids got a hot cocoa and they were sitting and he and I were just kind of interfacing and doing a little quick little checkup. And that was nice, but he also had a lot more people with him that day. And, and he, you know, as you're there longer, you can't help but change. I, I'm pretty different than how I first was when I first started doing radio. Um, I'm, you know, you can tell the difference. You go back to those early podcasts of those shows and listen to me now. I'm different, you know, time you grow, whatever. But that kind of power, how can we have a nincompoop like this who doesn't know that laws are not, like the president doesn't make law, how can we have him be a senator? How, how do the people of Virginia keep sending this guy, isn't he from West Virginia? How do they keep sending him there? 
I, I don't mean to be insulting, but uh, crossing the border undocumented. What does that even mean? Does he mean illegally entering the country? Does he mean breaking into America? I think that's what they should call it. Like breaking into America. That's what it, it, that's what it is. What is he talking about? So I just, I look at that. I, I listen to that and I just feel like, where am I? It's like we're in bizarro world. You know how uh, there used to be those sci-fi shows like the X-Files where in episodes, Scully and whatever his name was, it was, it was actually, I remember watching it when it was on television. I was much younger then and I had a much higher threshold for watching scary stuff. And it's not really, it's not, it's not like horror, but it's kind of scary, you know. And so I would be watching it and sometimes they would be in a situation where everything looked normal. Everyone looked normal, but there'd be something that was out of place and that thing would become glaringly more apparent until finally Scully and her partner would have to like figure out what was making this weird phenomenon be a part of this normal situation. We have a weird phenomenon going on in America right now where we have people who are getting paid big, big, huge bucks to sit in positions of very, very like power. They're, they're in the, the corridors of power. But then when they open their mouths, it's like, he doesn't make any sense. Um, yeah, that's, that's ridiculous. All right, let's go to the phones. Fritz in Missouri. Hey, you're in the Midwest. <laughs> Thanks for calling the show. Hi, Stacy. How are you? Um, <laughs> Good. Yeah, I, I was look, looking on the internet on a kind of a general search on how much does welfare fraud cost. And there, there are several uh, listings on that. One of the ones I went into, I went down to number 23, mm-hmm. and the, what they have added up is it costs us $50 billion a year for welfare fraud. Uh, I had seen on another website that $4.2 billion goes illegally basically into Mexico. Uh, some homes claim as many as 20 dependents. Mm. Uh, $4.2 billion. And um, while I'm on the phone, I think we need to say goodbye to Claire McCaskill former senator from Missouri, she, she got, and this was actually uh, documented, uh, $200 million over her two terms. And people are wondering where the money's going. Not really. <laughs> I just, Fritz. So how, now she was already rich, first of all. Her husband's rich. They own a lot of, is it nursing homes? They have some kind of, they have some kind of real estate empire, and he's already wealthy. And so she was able to funnel business to him as a senator and make them they basically enrich themselves and some people would say that's opportunity but I think that's graft that's that's why people go there the other thing is she used to say nonsensical stuff like Menendez is saying too about illegal immigration she only sounded logical and normal when it was an election year all the other years she was just crazy pants the point that you're making about the money that's wasted on our welfare programs is that we were told if we just spent more money on it, we would see less welfare, less dependence on government, less poverty. Instead, we see more of it, which means, again, we go back to, as the, as the listener pointed out and corrected my, my little saying there, you keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, you get insanity. We're seeing insanity in a lot of our government programs. But the key is, who's willing to do anything about it? Not the ones we've sent so far. So let's stop sending them. I know most people are thinking, well, who do we send? Is it our job to pick who to send? As Christians, are we not to pray that God would rise up, raise up the right people to fill these positions? But in the meantime, we don't send back these corrupt nincompoops, people who literally, Menendez said, they're crossing into the country undocumented. He's making stuff up to justify law breaking. That in and of itself should have the people of Virginia like, you know what, Menendez? We're good, bro, but you ain't going back. You're going to stay here with us and live under the policies that you've been voting in. You're going to stay right here. You, you can move anywhere you want to, but you're not going to be in the halls of power under our steam. We're not sending you back there. Same thing we did with Claire McCaskill, which was a miracle in and to itself. All right, when we get back, we have Dr. Paul Nathanson. Amazing interview coming up. Keep it here.
The Ministry of Preborn meets abortion-minded women right where they are. When a young mom sees her baby on ultrasound, she's 80% more likely to keep her baby. And I got to hear and see my baby for the first time. Hearing the heartbeat made me cry and it was certain that I was going to keep my baby forever. This mom chose life for her baby. She's been such a joy. Her name even means rebirth and sort of being raised up from the ashes. Uh, I now see my daughter and I cannot imagine my life without my happy, lovely, joyful, smart baby and I'm so grateful. Preborn runs and leads Christian pregnancy centers all over the country. To find out more, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Your love can save a life. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Last year was a significant year in the field of biblical archaeology. One article in Christianity Today detailed biblical archaeology's top 10 discoveries. Some were recent finds. Others were finds that new technology has helped read inscriptions not previously visible. Here are a few examples. When ISIS terrorists captured Mosul, they blew up the tomb of the prophet Jonah. This uncovered the remains of a palace of the Assyrian king Esarhaddon. As one article put it, ISIS accidentally corroborates the Bible and inscriptions found in the old city of Nineveh give an order of the Assyrian kings that matches the biblical order. An inscribed piece of limestone discovered in a tomb along the west bank of the Nile was revealed to be a Semitic abecedary. It dates back to the time of Moses and fits with a statement that Moses wrote down everything the Lord had said, and it turns out he wasn't the only one writing in a Semitic script in Egypt at the time. A seal impression found in the ancient Jerusalem wall mentions the governor of the city. Governors of the city of Jerusalem are mentioned in the Old Testament, and one seal impression found apparently says Isaiah the prophet. It is with other seals with King Hezekiah of Judah. And a ring with the name Pontius Pilate on it was excavated decades ago, but only could be read recently due to advanced photographic techniques. The ring is not fancy enough to have been worn by Pilate. It probably was worn by someone authorized to act on his authority and would use it to seal official communications. This is really an exciting time in biblical archaeology. These and other finds further establish the historical reliability of the Bible. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. You can download episodes of Stacy on the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey, welcome to the program. Thank you for being here today. Uh, by the way, when I say we need to do something about members of Congress and if your response is, well, all of the congressional districts are jerry-rigged and there's just nothing we can do. That's not the attitude that I take about anything here on this show. Any, any information that I share, I'm never sharing it with a fatalistic view that there's nothing we can do about it. As long as we're still alive and breathing, there's something we can do about any problem that we face. You have to have that attitude or why are you getting up out of bed every day? Either you believe we can affect change, just a tiny little number of us, two or 3% of us, rabidly interested in changing any one situation can get it done, or why are you even bothering with anything? Either we can change stuff or everything is hopelessly rigged against us and what are we even doing? Those are the two options. I choose the former. Of course we can do something about the problems that we see facing our country, and we have to. We have a responsibility to do that. Welcome into the program. Thank you for making your home at American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. It's my pleasure to welcome our next guest, Dr. Paul Nathanson. He's an author of so many books, so many fantastic books, um, and an expert on misandry, which is an attack on men that's going on all over the country, on television, on radio, everywhere you look. And he's making an impact through his writing and speaking and going on the radio and talking about these issues. Dr. Nathanson, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you. By the way, I, I'm having a bit of trouble hearing you. Oh, okay. Let me speak up just a bit. Is, is that any better? 
Well, say something. It, it, can you hear me now? Is this any better? Um, well, a little bit. Anyway, okay. well, well, I'll try. Uh, Devin, please see if you can increase my audio for him. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about your piece that you have out. You've written about this USA powerlifting which this organization has released a statement in late January outlining their position after J.C. Cooper, a trans woman, had an application to compete in a Minnesota event denied. What's going on here? Well, uh, the problem there is that if you have uh, a woman who was born as a man, uh, her body is going to have the advantage of years of uh, testosterone, which means that she'll have an unfair advantage over women. So they want her not to compete on a woman's team. Well, and, and I agree with that, but I think a lot of people who are just becoming familiar with this issue aren't exactly aware of what's happened in the past with other athletes who were born men competing against women and the kind of brutal nature of the interactions there. Yes, this is not the first case that's come up. Um, I think that the larger problem, though, is the whole notion of transgender itself, because uh, they claim not that they um, want to be of the opposite sex, but that they are of the opposite sex. And that is a problem because it makes no scientific sense. Everybody is born with either two X chromosomes or an X and a Y chromosome. Um, that can't be changed by cosmetic surgery or hormone treatment. Um, now, another problem with the trans movement is that it usually manifests itself not in adults, but in children. Um, and so the question is, uh, is it morally advisable to allow children to make this decision for themselves and for parents to encourage them to have radical surgery and hormone treatments that will affect their reproductive systems? Um, or do we just acknowledge that children cannot give their informed consent by, by definition of being children? So, you know, there are many, there are several problems that are out there, and they're not necessarily being discussed because the trans movement has made itself, um, tries to make itself immune to any criticism, which means that anybody, including me, who question their analysis of what's going on in their lives uh, will have to be silenced in one way through intimidation or some other means. So uh, there's, a, there's a lot that you just shared there, and it's a lot to unpack. But when we're talking about this issue, like there's, it's, it's kind of interesting that this story is in the news at the same time that there was a huge expose written um, by a person who lived as the opposite sex. He, he, was, it, he was born a man, born a boy, raised as a man. Then at 40, he transitioned and actually had surgery to you know, make his body look as a woman and then lived for eight years as a woman before coming to the stark realization that the work that he needed to do was on himself mentally. He needed to have therapy and, and counseling. And after that, he went back to living as a man and he's now married to a woman and he's kind of breaking all of these barriers by writing a piece like this, and I was even surprised that it would be published, is this something that people are going to come to regret, especially parents allowing their children to make decisions about their bodies, which have lasting repercussions, the hormone therapy, the, the physical surgeries, uh, without really thinking through the, lo the lasting effects? Well, yes, that's always a possibility. I don't know that, I don't know how many, what percentage of people who have this kind of surgery um, do regret it, but there certainly will be some, um, because, in fact, it is radical surgery. It, 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 has an, it has effects that are not always foreseeable. 
So some people will inevitably come to the conclusion that maybe the grass is not greener on the other side. Yeah, but it's not just that it's not greener. Doing the physical surgeries doesn't take care of the underlying issue, which is that people are suffering from gender dysphoria and they, they need therapy and counseling to stop dealing with that because they're changing their physical bodies, but they still have the feelings that they're in the wrong body even after the surgeries. Yes, yeah, some of them do. I don't know that all of them still feel dysphoric. Um, I don't think we, we haven't had enough time for any longitudinal studies. You know, if you in 20 years that people have been doing their research, we might find out that, you know, 30% of people who go through this surgery or hormone treatment come to regret it. But we don't know that now. We can just assume that it's likely. Hmm. So back to the powerlifting issue and the, the statement that they've released, do you see people who want to reverse the, the action that they've taken suing or moving against them in some way to try to force them to permit transgendered people to compete against women? No, I don't think that, um, I don't think this, uh, this team is wrong for what they're doing. And, uh, I don't see why they should be forced, uh, into, um, doing the opposite of what they're doing. So I, can we talk about one of your books that you've written? Um, I understand that you've written about misandry and, and its negative impacts on everything we're doing, the contempt for men. Actually, one of your books is called Spreading Misandry, The Teaching of Contempt for Men in Popular Culture. What made you write that book? Well, that, was, that came out in um, two weeks after 9-11. So we didn't get a lot of coverage because everybody was busy with the big story, but um, but actually, a lot of people did read it. It's um, it's the only it's the one of the four books that people ask us about most often. My 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 co-author, by the way, is Catherine Young. Hmm. So, could you talk a little bit about what you and Catherine Young actually wrote about in the book? Yes. Well, we found that. We looked at um, a quite a wide range of popular culture. We looked at uh, movies, TV shows, uh, romance novels, jokes, comic books. Uh, and we found that the way men were portrayed, well, we found that one pattern of portraying men was that they were either uh, evil or inadequate or both. So that in any fictional context, um, there was likely to be a male villain or male helpers of the female victim who would be inadequate to help her. Um, occasionally there would be an honorary woman who would be either a, a black man or a gay man. So that was a pattern that we found. It wasn't, it's not the only pattern that's out there. And we don't claim that misandry um, is, uh, exists apart from misogyny. Misogyny is out there, too. But the difference is that misogyny is very closely monitored and denounced very strongly when it appears. And misandry flies under the radar somehow. People don't, either don't notice it or don't care when they do notice it. I so think... that's what we found. That's the basic finding. But the book um, actually concludes with a chapter on, it's called Making the World Safe for Ideology, because we do trace the origin of much of this hostility toward men to feminist ideology. And so then we had to look at how, how ideologies on both the left and the right um, function in ways that can um, undermine democracy. So when, when we talk about, um, you mentioned that you find it, it, the misandry is not 
pushed back against. It's almost as if it flies by blindly. People don't seem to notice it. But I, I do think there are people out there who've commented on, you know, the, the seemingly endless stream of characters on television who are the, the husband is always inept and unable to accomplish anything. And the wife is always the hero, the savior. She's smarter than him. She's smarter than everyone else. And she has to kind of suffer in, you know, just having him around is, is extra work. He's like the fourth child and, you know, with three kids in the family, he's the fourth kid. Right. People have commented on that and people have said that it's, it, it's not beneficial to little boys to see men represented in that way. And it doesn't reflect the, what the, what most two parent households are, are experiencing is there, there's not an overabundance of inept men, but there also doesn't seem to be a push to stop it or to stop consuming that kind of, of uh, like television or, and what have you. Well, actually, uh, in the very recent past, uh, there has been a bit of action. Um, a few weeks ago, there was a Gillette commercial that, that got a lot of attention because it um, portrayed, it was basically um, trying to advertise Gillette products for men by telling viewers that men are responsible for every evil you can think of, and that the way to change that, the way that a man can be his best, which is the, the Gillette slogan, is conversion to feminism. Um, mm. Now, that, that commercial aroused a great deal of uh, commotion. People really, really resented that and pointed out how dangerous it is. Um, and it came out, actually, within days of the new guidelines for treating male patients by the American Psychological Association, which also generated a storm, which it might not have, it might not have happened uh, 20 years ago, but it did now. Um, these um, APA guidelines basically are telling clinical psychologists that if you know, the, the the problem that most of their male patients have is what they call traditional masculinity, <laughs> which is a which is a code word I think for what is better known as toxic masculinity, um, because it certainly isn't traditional. In any case, if that is the main problem, then they prescribe as the the solution that they convert men to feminism. They don't use those words, but that's what it amounts to, which is odd because the American Psychological Association um, at one time uh, accepted conversion therapy for gay people, and then they abandoned that, but now they're coming back with another form of, gay, of conversion therapy. So, um, and that, that's a really important uh, development because these guidelines are going to be used in schools, they're going to be used in government agencies, they're going to be used in courts of law. It's the new default setting. It's the, you know, the most prestigious psychological um, association is now identified with a very, very questionable policy, which is frankly and overtly ideological. You know, the point that you just made there about the Gillette ad is an important one. Um, I'm not sure if we would have seen that backlash maybe 10 years ago, mainly because people weren't paying attention. So it is a good development. Thank you for the work that you do, Dr. Paul Nathanson, author and really uh, an expert in the subject area. Thanks for joining the show today. Thank you. All right. Good to talk to you. We will be back with more after these messages. Keep it here.
What does it take to be a sports success and a team player? Here's Pro Football Hall of Fame coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment. Hall of Famer Chuck Bednarik was perhaps the most devastating tackler to ever play the game. Concrete Charlie, as they called him, was also the last two-way player in football, playing both center on offense and linebacker on defense. His special toughness was also seen in World War II, years before he played pro football, as Bednarik participated in 30 missions over Germany as a gunner on a B-24 bomber. He served both his teammates and his country with his incredible strength and work ethic. Concrete Charlie passed away in March of 2015 and will be remembered as an example of uncommon toughness and endurance. Tony Dungy, best-selling author of Quiet Strength and the Uncommon book series. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. This is Marnita from The Marnita Show with Parenting Points. Stay open. Did you know that parenting is a touchy subject? People do not want to hear your opinion of how they should raise their children. In fact, when approached, some parents get extremely defensive if you offer a comment. They take it too personal because they assume you are calling them a bad parent. It's not always that. Sometimes there are others with experience that can help you. Disallow pride to block your blessings. You don't know everything. Be willing to listen a wise man will hear what others are saying. He's not always compelled to act on what he hears. He's just smart enough to listen. Wayne Dyer said the ultimate ignorance is rejecting what you know nothing about and refusing to investigate. It keeps you small and in the dark. For more parenting, tune in to The Marnita Show right here on your favorite station. This is Poll Paris with Fox News Director of Polling, Dana Blanton. A bunch of great tidbits in our latest Fox News poll. First, President Trump. His average approval rating at the two-year mark is 44%. That compares to an average 49% approval for President Obama at this stage of his presidency. It was 70% for President George W. Bush. Bush's approval jumped to 88% after 9-11. Voters want Uncle Sam to expand domestic programs. By an 11-point margin, they support increasing government spending on things like infrastructure, defense, and health care. To pay for it, two-thirds support raising taxes on those earning a million dollars a year. 79% are concerned about what's going on in Washington these days. Only bigger concern is the price of health care. 85% are worried about that. One more. We have liberated virtually all of the territory from the grip of these bloodthirsty monsters. Almost no one, 11%, believes ISIS has been defeated. I'm Dana Blanton, and that's your Poll Paris. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Last week, they introduced a massive government takeover that would destroy our incredible economic gains. They introduced the so-called Green New Deal. It sounds like a high school term paper that got a low mark. It would shut down American energy, which I don't think the people in Texas are going to be happy with that. It would shut down a little thing called air travel. How do you take a train to Europe? You know, this, this crazy senator from Hawaii, they said, do you like it? Yes, I like it very much. Oh, really? How are we getting to Hawaii on a train? She didn't think about that one, but she's thinking about it. She'll figure it out. They want to take away your car, reduce the value of your home, and put millions of Americans out of work spend a hundred trillion dollars, which by the way, there's no such thing as a hundred trillion. You have to spend a hundred trillion dollars. And remember this, no other country except us is going to do it. That's a little problem too. So guys, first of all, if there is something about these rallies that President Trump is just, he's energized by it and he's electrified by it and the crowds it was unbelievable, the crowds last night for this event. Um, it was so loud that 
I guess it was like a mile or a mile and a half away. You've got uh, Robert O'Rourke. I refuse to call him Beto. That's uh, that's ridiculous. Robert O'Rourke was having a kind of a little get together of his own. And the noise from the Trump rally was drowning him out. (laughs) So, So I think people want there to be this malaise on the right. And it just isn't there. And, and I liken it to the kind of excitement that President Obama had among his base. Only uh, there, there's something. So President Obama didn't did, he didn't he wasn't required to deliver. He didn't have to raise, uh, you know, the 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 numbers of people who were employed in the black community. He didn't have to answer for the gun violence in Chicago. He didn't have to uh, answer for the fact that he lied about what Obamacare would do. In every policy arena, if there was a failure, it was papered over. That's fine. He's the first black president. He's historic. We're on the right. There's a lot of excitement around President Trump, but he's also required to deliver. I mean, he's really got his feet being held to the fire by not just hosts like myself, but by rank and file members who you see the, the change in commentary online where people are like, I know the president isn't about to start caving to the Democrats on immigration. I mean, you can see it happen in real time on online social media. You can see it in the comments on blogs and, and websites. You can hear it in the callers, not just to this program, but to other programs. People call in and they start expressing their frustration. And the president pays attention to that. He has people in the media who pay attention to that. And his media surrogates actually come on to programs like this one and they spend their time presenting the president's case to the people so that at least people can understand what he's trying to do. Um, I think that's different. And that's, to me, what makes the new poll numbers that the president has so, so important. Um, President Trump's approval rating among likely voters has soared to the best that he's had in the entire 23 months he's been in office, 52% post State of the Union. Rasmussen reports has the president at 52% approval, um, a higher number than he had when he won the presidency in 2016. This is a significant upswing since the government shut down low of 43%. New numbers were collected in the three days immediately following the State of the Union address. A senior Democratic House aide confided on background when asked what Monday's number meant. I don't know yet if it's horrible, but it sure isn't good. So the Democrats don't think this is great for them. Polling average is just 42.4%, including mostly those surveys that are open to all Americans. But Rasmussen polls only likely voters. So if you're a likely voter, meaning you voted in the last, you know, so many elections, um, then they, they'll poll you. If, you. if you don't vote, then they're not interested in what you have to say. Now, this is interesting. Um, the number is his highest since March 6th of 2017, just seven weeks, barely seven weeks after he took office. And um, it's pretty good stuff. The White House seemed pleased. I saw the president tweet uh, online on my Twitter feed. He had tweeted an image of the story at the top of the Drudge Report. And, you know, he's pretty happy about it. And I, I don't discount the fact that Rasmussen is a, is a tad more conservative because they, they report the good, the bad, and the ugly. So it's nice to see a reflection that is a little more accurate considering I, I think he's doing a good job. Um, I'm not happy with everything, but I'm, I'm, I, I think he's doing what he can with what is available to him. So we kind of teased this yesterday, but I want to give you the details here because this is so important for us when we look at, um, and, and please, okay, enhance your calm, Jenny Spartan. That's a little nickname my sister and I had for each other when we would be getting ready. One of us would be getting ready to get upset. The other one would say, enhance your calm, Jenny Spartan. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to enhance my calm because this really, this ticks me off, Okay. I get ticked off about this because I care about the people in this country. So before I share this bit of information, I want to I want to give you a little peek into where I come from, where I sit on this issue, because I think, you know, especially over the past week or so, I've, I've noticed that some people will see my view on something. And if it's not the same as theirs, they they're immediately assuming that I'm just uninformed. I'm not uninformed. 
And now I don't know everything. I'm not informed on everything. But if I'm going to have an opinion about something and I'm going to put it out there in the public, I will have looked at the other side before I do that. I don't just post things willy nilly or say things off the cuff about these major important issues without first having looked into it and read about it myself. So my views are coming from someplace. That's that's what I'm trying to tell you. And when, when I'm sitting with this issue about the illegal immigration, most people are assuming that I don't know anybody who's Hispanic or of, of Latin origin or anything like that. And that's just garbage. That's not true. They also assume that I'm some heartless person who doesn't believe in helping the poor and people who not true. But what I do have is I have this perspective that I see America as my home. And it doesn't come from a place of I've only lived in America and I've only been around Americans. And so there it is. I'm xenophobic. It's because I've been to the USSR back when it was the USSR, back when they were practicing communism. I've been to Spain. I've been to uh, Paris, France four times. Uh, uh, I've been to all the European countries. I'll just sum that up. And when I've been to England, I've been to Saudi Arabia. Um, You know, I I could name off a few more countries, but suffice it to say, I hope that when you hear me saying that, no braggadocio, my father was in the army in high school and junior high. I got to go to Vienna, Austria and places like that for ski trips and high school trips. I got to go to some of those places on active duty in the military, Saudi Arabia. I've been all over the globe. And I can tell you, if there's a people group that I adore, it's German people because I grew up in their country and that is a second home for me. But I don't love any people group the way I love Americans. This is my home. And I remember we would be all over the place. Sometimes, some weekends we would be in Spain. Some weekends we'd be in France. And then that summer we would come back to the United States. And my mom and dad would leave us here with my grandparents. And we'd be here for two and a half months on, on summer vacation. Just rambling around Tennessee in my, in my granddad's old truck and running through, you know, getting chigger bites and running through and picking blackberries off the bush and eating them wild blackberries and just running up and down. Um, my, my, both of my grandparents lived in Tennessee. So we would just be ping ponging back and forth between their houses. And there's something about the people in this country that you don't find anywhere else. People think it's like this cute little patriot thing for rednecks and gun clingers. when we say freedom runs in our veins But we are a unique people group and we are unlike any other group of people on the face of this planet. And you only have to go to Saudi Arabia or Moscow and see the people there and God bless them. I'm not downgrading these people, but those ain't Americans. You do not understand where I'm coming from until you've been to some of these foreign countries and you spend some time there and you get to know the people there And they're wonderful people, but they're just not Americans. And so after you've gone abroad and you've seen all of this and you come back to America and then you see these politicians and these people who clearly they don't have a love for the people of this country. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez says the foreigners from South America are more American than we are. You don't have that attitude if you go abroad and live among the other people groups and then come back here and you kind of appreciate this, you know, we got our own little water thing going on here. We have our own country. We have our own language. We have our own customs. We have our own regional customs. This is America. And I love it because this is where I am the most free. And because I'm one of those people who believes that you learn who butters that bread and you love the one you're with. So if you're an American citizen, I really don't feel like you have a choice because In our country right now, you can renounce your citizenship and you can actually apply to be a citizen of someplace else, renounce your American citizenship. It's a choice to be an American. If you were born here and you have American citizenship and you don't enjoy it, you can always go be a citizen of another country. So I'm coming at this from the position of America's my home. I love the people of this country, the lawful immigrants and the ones who are generational like my family. We've been here for generations. And I think we're special and that we should protect that special people group. And that is where it comes from. It's not xenophobia. It's not that I don't think other people groups are special. But if you're a Mexican citizen, you should love your country and you should want to protect your country. And if you want to come be an American, then you should do so lawfully. It has nothing to do with not liking you or being afraid of you. It has to do with me loving the people who live here. All of them. 
doesn't matter the ethnic background. It's about whether or not they're citizens of this country. And it's special to be an American. This is the citizenship that is most coveted on the face of this planet. And it's because we have a Judeo-Christian value system that is in our laws, it's in our constitution, it's engraved in the cornerstones and the buildings in Washington, D.C. It's engraved on the roof of the Capitol. The fact that we worship God and we honor him and we know that he is the source is woven into the fabric of who we are. And so the lawlessness of illegal immigration and the murder and the carnage that's going on, that to me is a travesty that must be stopped, which is why this poll, 450 million residents of 33 countries in Latin America and the Caribbean, they were polled. Gallup took time to gauge the opinions of 450 million Latin people. And of those who participated in the survey, 27% said they want to live permanently in another country if they could. If that's not a statement about some cultures being better than others, then you don't get what this really means. 27% represents 120 million people. When the respondents were asked, well, where would you like to move? 35% or 42 million of these people said they preferred to live in the United States of America. They prefer to live here where they can get that same love that I'm giving to all the other Americans. They want to be a part of that group. And I don't blame them. I don't blame them one bit. But the question is, how do they want to come here? Gallup also found that 5 million people from Latin America and the Caribbean say they would like to relocate to America within the next 12 months. 5 million is almost the population of the entire state of Missouri. Do you get where I'm going with this? So the president tweeted, Gallup poll, open borders will potentially attract 42 million Latin Americans. That would be a disaster for the U.S. We need the wall now. And why do I agree with him? Because we have a fence around our property. And if I found out that some huge number of families really, really liked what we were putting down here at our house and they wanted to come live here and they were planning on coming here, whether I wanted them to or not, I would have a problem with that. And I don't mean a problem like, that doesn't sound good to me. I mean, a problem like you ain't doing that. There's no way you're doing that. And if you try to do it, you're going to meet with the ultimate in resistance, which is what we should provide for Americans, because we are a family. We are a nation of people who choose to be Americans. We have our obviously people who are born here, who have the citizenship by birth, and we have multiple tens of millions of people who are citizens of this country because they chose to come here lawfully and spent years and tens of thousands of their own dollars, American dollars that they had to convert their money into to become Americans. So why did we just have this little tirade? Because first of all, I don't understand Americans who don't feel like I do. I don't understand you if you have more sympathy for someone who's here illegally than you do for someone who's an American citizen. That's why I address you as such so many times during this show. That's why I leave the show that way. That's why I say citizens until tomorrow, because we're a family. And if you don't believe that too, you have options. Renounce your citizenship and go be with that people group with whom you have the most in common. But leave America to us. It's ours and we have every right to defend it. Until tomorrow, citizens. Thank you for making your home at American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of Urban Family Talk, Urban Family Communications, or American Family Association.